from the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In. They believe that what we're being told is everything they need to know, and they just pay attention to that. You actually have to teach the teachers how to teach for innovation. With your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I am Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I am with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education. Denise, Policy Pope. Okay, so we're talking about policy today. I get it. As an educator, I always think that there's this big split between like research and what people do and policy and then what actually happens in the classroom. So I'm going to throw you a question. I don't know if you'll actually be able to answer this or not, but how do you think research impacts education? You're correct. I'm going to change your question. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. So... Stanford Graduate School of Education, you know, part of its, a big part of its mission is to produce research that's innovative and changes lives. And so we've done that. Now, how do you get it out there? And uh, I have to go around and talk a lot about the school. And I, I bump into two things that always get in the way. The first is everyone went to school, so they know. What do you mean they know? Uh, whatever I say. They, they already know it. Oh, because I've been there. I've, I've lived I've it for I, 16 I went there. years. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad your study showed that. But, you know, I went to school. Oh, this is so obvious. In other words, they say this research is so obvious. Or, or they just discount it because their experience was different. Oh, you're wrong because that's not my N of one. My, I that's am, right. I my am, child. My child my is experiencing this. So you, Dan, dean of the School of Education, are wrong. But it's interesting, you know, if I talk to young parents with parenting tips, then they, they want to hear. They're just eager to hear it because they know they don't know. So that's number one. The second challenge is that uh, education is, has a large normative component. You're what de- does that mean? You're deciding what people should be, what they should become, what should their experience in school be. To some extent, these aren't empirical questions. These are vision questions about what is it I want a child to become? How do I want – is school preparation for life or is it life itself? So those normative considerations sort of trump in people's minds the research evidence because they say, "Look, no, no, no. I really believe that kids should be doing hands-on stuff and your research you know, is, is not talking about that, something like that. And so, so it doesn't necessarily meet what they think it should meet, or they want they want you to do research about something else. Or or they're not really thinking about research. They've got a vision of what a school should look like, okay. and, and they implement that, and that dominates their thinking, right? So these, these are two impediments, I think, that get in the way. So in certain fields, like in medicine, you know, the patients generally aren't going to claim they're more knowledgeable. They're not going to say, I think you should do my heart transplant this way. That's right. Right, because they haven't That's had right. a heart transplant before. Yeah, we get – there's – Mary Metz called this real school, and you have this vision of what real school should be, mm-hmm. and it's based on what you went through. So anything yeah. that looks different, like if you all of a sudden don't have a class called English yeah. or you don't even go to class, that can't be school. Because that's not how I experience. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and it bumps into issues of curriculum, yeah. particularly in math. Yeah. Because the kid comes home, they're teaching math a new way, and the kid comes home with a math problem the parent never learned. Right. And so they can't help. Right. And so the school's not teaching math correctly. Right. Yeah. Or you do what my husband did, which is teach the wrong way to the kid, and the kid goes back, and, and now there's the teacher says, well, where did you learn to do that? That's not what we do anymore. My dinosaur dad taught me that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a problem. So, so there, there's kind of two pathways in to changing practice. One is 
sort of directly introducing new things, like you might introduce a new technology or you might try and introduce a practice through professional development, or we prepare teachers. So we try and get them to use research, sort of validated approaches. The second one is policy, right? So policies make decisions about who has to go to school, how long, uh, where the money flows. And here, we'd really like to bring evidence to policy. So well, that, otherwise, how are they, what are they basing policy on if it's not research? How they went to school. Oh, this is bad. Well, I, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> I'm just assuming that, you know, you're a legislator. Uh, you haven't really studied education. So there's a good chance you'll default to that frame of mind. Mm, interesting. So we try and fix that. Good. And we have a guest who is trying to fix that. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people making praise, decisions praise, just based on how they went to school 30 praise, years ago. Praise the facts. Praise the facts. I am very happy to introduce Heather Huff, who is an education researcher and executive director of PACE. And PACE stands for Policy Analysis for California Education. And what's really cool is PACE is a research center led by faculty at Stanford, USC, UC Davis, UCLA, and UC Berkeley. So it's a, it's a combination of a lot of different research universities. So Heather, I have a note here that you have been leading a big project at Stanford, and it's called Getting Down to Facts. Um, and I guess there was a part one and a part two. So give us those sort of one-minute version of what that is. What is getting down to facts, and why was it done? Well, we need evidence to make good decisions in our education system, and now is a particularly ripe time for that. We have a new governor who was just elected, a new state superintendent of public instruction also just elected, and tremendous change that's happened in the state of California over the past 10 years new funding mechanism, new standards, new accountability. So with all of this shifting, we needed to take stock what's working well and where are we still experiencing problems. And so we brought together 36 researchers from across the state and across the country to answer that question across, uh, across all of the areas of education policy, pre-K through 12 in California. Okay, that is a huge job. D does this woman sleep? Well, <laughs> I, it wasn't alone. And also the principal investigator for this study was Susanna Loeb, formerly a Stanford professor. So there were a lot of us who weren't sleeping for okay. the two years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Together. And what were some of the things that, that you found? Well, overall, we seem to be on the right track. There's really widespread support for the changes that have been put into place. The changes in finance actually have moved a lot of flexibility to the local level so that the people that are closer to schools are the ones making decisions about how to spend the money. Um, also, wait, the alignment. Yeah, wait, wait. Hang let's on. back up so for that. <laughs> getting down to facts, didn't just ask people, if, are they happy that they got more money? No, it didn't just ask that. So, so is there some evidence that this change in financing is going to be effective? We do actually have one study that shows that there has been a change for the students that were targeted. Mm -hmm. So you get more money now if you serve more low-income kids, foster youth, uh, this kind of thing. Those schools are actually moving achievement faster than others, but the, the evidence great. is preliminary. That's great. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are speaking today with Heather Huff, who is an education researcher and led a huge undertaking with something called PACE, Policy Analysis for California Education, and she's sharing her findings with us. So one finding is local control of finances helped or move it people in, like in a it. good direction. People for like it. For low-income or marginalized students. Yeah. That's right. What, what's another fact? 
Um, there is widespread support for the new standards here in California f- amongst teachers, administrators, and the public, which is not true everywhere. I was going to say, I think people are now shocked to hear that. Because, <laughs> because what, what's, lot, an, what's an example of a standard I might not like? Well, I think people like to complain about the standards because they are different, because they are used to teaching this unit and this chapter in this order, and now California, and actually the U.S., um, has different standards, and you have to change your teaching. So it's much more about big pictures. Heather, you want to It's also about, I have a second grader in the public system, and it's also about what parents know and can help their kids to do, per your earlier statement. So I've had to relearn my second grade math to be able to really help my daughter, and I think that that can be unsettling right. for lots so, of people. As opposed to my husband who didn't relearn it and just taught the way that he taught. So you're a better mom, actually, is what we're hearing now. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, so there is widespread support for the changes that have been put into place, but there are still major challenges. So you can imagine that when you make this big shift and you go from everything being made at the state level, every decision being made at the state level, to shifting that down into districts districts, into schools, into classrooms, there's a lot of capacity that needs to be built to make good use of all of that flexibility. Some of that flexibility is around how do I know if the thing I spent my money on is actually helping kids? And some of it is even closer to the classroom. How do I know I have lots of flexibility in terms of how to teach these new standards? How do I access the most appropriate materials? Where are those curated? How do I build the capacity in a classroom to implement that and in a district to make sure my teachers are making the best use of it? So our first finding was that despite some of this early evidence that the changes are working, the widespread support, we really have to double down on capacity building so that we can fully realize some of those changes. What does capacity building mean? It can come in any number of ways. So some of it is what people people know. And some of it is also what organizations are able to do. So one of the things that we've that we highlighted is that there's a role that the state can and should play in terms of building infrastructure for everybody to for individuals and organizations to build that capacity. Some of that is around data systems that you can then use to understand the effect of problems or of solutions or to understand the root causes of, of problems. And then some of that is instead of each teacher kind of going out and doing that search to find the best instructional materials, those are curated for you. So it's capacity at all of the levels of the system so that the people in those systems can make the best choices possible for kids. So who's responsible for that capacity building? Because like you just said, it's better to go more local. But then is or it that's up, the current theory. That's the of current this theory. Policy. Okay, mm-hmm. totally fair. So is it up to the superintendent to deal with capacity building or is the state gonna actually take that on? We were very careful in this set of studies not to make recommendations because what we wanted to do is put evidence in the hands of decision makers. And what we're engaged in right now is the process through which we're helping them to engage with this evidence to decide what works best for California. Having said that, a lot of the studies do highlight differences, for example, between our state and other states. And some other states have done a lot to build central infrastructure for this kind of local decision making that can be in the form of curated resources, of data systems, of professional development offerings. 
We have a challenge in California in that our state is very large. And so some of that is also building that infrastructure for that support where it sits locally. So there is a state role and there's also a local role. And the districts ultimately in our new state policy structure are being asked to really work on school improvement, be responsible for that. So they need to build that capacity as well. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're talking with Heather Huff about how research gets to the classroom and who has the capacity to implement the different policies and and research that goes on and that California as a state has actually decided to try something, which is more local control. And it sounds like getting down to facts was interrogating whether or not that was working or not. So I would think... One of the hardest things is I'm a school district and I'm trying to do some new approaches. Uh, Meanwhile, I need to be held accountable for the success of those. And the challenge for me is figuring out how I should be held accountable. This is a case where it's not just the research saying, boy, you ought to do this thing. It's a case where you actually need someone who knows how to do research to help you develop your accountability systems. Is, is this a, a stress point? Do you like have the superintendent of Los Angeles saying, how are we going to tell if this works? That is actually one of the biggest tension points in this approach, that to be, ordered, be, to be able to make local decisions and know if they worked, you need a very strong evaluative framework. And that can come in any number of ways. I think research is one way that we do this kind of evaluation. There's also other ways to manage performance. But that is an area of capacity building, an area where we need to build capacity. I would think just deciding on the metrics would be very complicated. Yeah. And it's not something that can happen overnight. If it's not something that districts have been doing, then coming in and saying this needs to happen is very hard to do. So is your prediction that uh, the accountability systems will be based on student performance on standardized tests? One of the big changes that has happened is that we've expanded it. So now in California, we look at standardized tests, but we also look at chronic absenteeism, suspension, college and career readiness. Interesting. A big part of this theory is that the accountability comes from stakeholders. So it's not the state or the national government saying, you're not doing well enough and here's what's going to happen. It's the parents and the communities saying, we're not doing well enough and we want you to do something different. But there's capacity that needs to be built there as well because as the, as the role of the stakeholders has shifted, they're still in the accountability mindset of this is your fault, how, not how can I help you so that we can all get better together. This to me sounds like a pretty big shift because what I know about sort of standards and all of this is that we were saying, gosh, all this local control, this was years ago, isn't working. Let's try to get some accountability. Let's get some common standards across all states. Let's get some common tests across all states because it's like willy-nilly out there. And now it sounds like I'm hearing we want to shift back to a little bit more local control. Am I understanding this right? Well, the pendulum does always shift. Um, (laughs) But I think that it's a little bit of both right now in a way that I think holds a lot of promise, that you can both put into place standards and frameworks, but then allow for local decision making. Because we, in the area of my research, I study continuous improvement. And 
you need to have flexibility to be able to get to the root cause of your problem and solve it in the appropriate way. And sometimes that's not obvious. So you might see that your students are not doing well on standardized tests. And if someone coming from the outside said, you need to spend this money on one-on-one -on -one tutoring, that might not actually be what mm. the problem is in that school. And that's also the theory of multiple measures, is that the more data that you have, the more easy it's going to be to see, wait, but a lot of kids aren't even coming to school. There's an absenteeism problem here. So how do we work on that while we're working on student achievement? And this empowers the individual teacher or principal or department to say, let us, okay, thank you for telling us the problem. We, we agree that this is part of the problem. Let us work on some solutions without being handcuffed by the state or the federal government. That's right. All right. Well, that's pretty exciting. Indeed. But I do think now why I see why people kind of rail against this because it's also really hard. Like it's much easier to, to be told what to do and then you can blame the feds, right? Well, oh, it's not our fault. This is what we're told to do and it's not working, but it's not our fault. Now you, you kind of have to own that it's not working. And I think you layer onto that some of the challenges that still exist in the system. One of the big ones that we identified in the Getting Down to Facts research is funding. So one of the studies identified that we needed about 38% more in our public system in order to meet the goals that California had set for the state. So that's not nothing. That's a significant sum. 38%? 38 not 37.5%. <laughs> it's it's it, very it, precise. That's right. It was a professional judgment panel. So they asked people who really do think about school budgets and running schools, how many people would we need in the schools? How, how small should the class sizes be? This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We will have more with Heather Huff, Executive Director of PACE, which is Policy Analysis for California Education, next on SiriusXM Insight 121. We translate the research we know about best practices with school, curriculum, and parenting to teachers, administrators, parents, and youth. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking today with Heather Huff, who is an education researcher and executive director of PACE, which stands for Policy Analysis for California Education. And uh, we've been having a lovely conversation about research and policy and how this makes its way down to the classroom. I'd like to bring it back to our opening question of how some of the mechanisms by which this research affects policy. So I could imagine you've got this and now you start doing advertisements in the middle of football games <laughs> as a way to influence legislators about how to feel about these things or you create some union that you get the unions to go up and talk to the... Wait, what, can just, what would they advertise in the middle of the football game? I'm just curious. Like... Local I, I, control. Let your schools have local control. Like what? I was thinking a song, local funding for you. <laughs> can I? Can I take that? Please, thank you. <laughs> He's gonna want some royalties. I'm just warning you. The more you spend, the more you know. No. Um, so, how does this research make it up into policy or into the discussion anyway? That's a huge part of what we are spending our time doing right now in the midst of this transition. Part of what I think is beautiful but also challenging about local control is that there are so many more people who are making decisions. And 
our goal in the dissemination of all of this research is to get this evidence into people's hands so that it can inform the ways that they make decisions depending on wherever they sit. And our strategy for doing that is very different depending on where they sit. So we do legislative outreach. We meet fairly regularly with staff and members to talk about this evidence and even to kick the ball around with them a little bit. They'll say, what do you think about this? And we can say, here's what the evidence suggests. So kind of that backstop of here's what research says. I would, I would have guessed the normal path is there's some bill that the legislator legislators are trying to decide on, and then they come to you. Mm -hmm. That happens too. That it happens goes both too. ways. Yeah. yeah. But at this, with this set of 36 studies, it is very important for us to push in mm. because we want this evidence to inform policymaking in ways that might not be immediately happening. And part of the reason for the breadth of these studies was so that there is strong evidence about what's working and what's not that can go into proactive policymaking. But policy is made all over the state in many ways. And our strategy is designed for to have really broad kinds of outreach. So we do webinars that get a thousand people on them to talk about our research. We write op-eds. We also hold seminars and conferences in Sacramento and then do a lot of targeted one-on-one -on -one, uh, outreach if people ask us or we push in. But I think what's important about all of that is targeting the ways that we talk about the research to how somebody might use it. Because if you're a state-level policymaker, you're making decisions about policy levers. And so the kinds of things that you need to know are different than if you're a district superintendent. That person might be thinking, what can I learn from this research about how to inform the ways that I'm making decisions in my district? But they could also say, this problem that I've been experiencing, like the crushing pension situation, which is something that we've highlighted in our research, it's really starting to clamp down on district budgets at this time when they want to have more flexibility around the ways that they spend money. They might then say, this isn't just my problem. This is everybody's problem. And that gives them a different warrant for the kind of advocacy that they might engage in. So the research can support policymaking, but it can also support advocacy. It can support stakeholder engagement. And we want to see the evidence being used in all of those ways. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. And we're here with Heather Huff, an education researcher, talking about how you get policy information to the people who need it most. Uh, how do you get evidence? How do you get evidence? evidence to the people who need it the most? Sorry, so, to make policy. That's or, a really good catch. So let, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And I think Heather's going to disavow my question. Okay. But I'm gonna, so you're, <laughs> do I have to answer it before she disavows no, it? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking this to you just because I have a clever answer. Oh, okay. So you have to ask me back. I will ask you okay. back. So uh, you've got lots of evidence at all levels of the system. Which of the stakeholders are the hardest to reach with the evidence? Well, I would say teachers. I mean, what, Heather mentioned a webinar, and I thought, is your average math teacher going to get on a webinar put on by PACE, put on by right. – I think you'd be intimidated as a teacher or maybe even a parent. So let, let people who are responsible for making decisions about policy, let me narrow it. Okay. Well, I'm going to throw that right back to you, Dan. School boards. School boards, why do you answer that? Well, because they have a lot of responsibility for local policy. They right, hire, so, they hire so they and fire want, superintendents. Right, but wouldn't they want this information? Not obviously. 
Oh, because they, because they have sort of normative visions and education is very local and they have their own concerns and and anyone and their mother can run for school board. There's no which is good. Yeah, but but, I, but this is a group that you would really like to educate because they have so much responsibility around the superintendent and the financial well-being of the schools. Right, but I think people don't realize that school board members are just your average person. Like, you don't have to have a degree in education, and there's not a lot of training. I mean, I, I know the state right, of California is, puts on some, but, like, all the more reason for the Heathers out there to be— That's why I thought this was the toughest group to get to. That there, There's no—it's very hard to get them to the research and help them think about it in, in ways that are particularly relevant and suited to their environment because they don't have preparation. Okay, Heather, okay, disavow. I'm done. Disavow. Heather, I, do you I agree? I won't disavow. I'll <gasps> add. I'll add. Um, we had, Aww, no, I'm so, so happy. Nice. <laughs> we had a stakeholder convening about a year ago, brought together leaders from across the system to talk about continuous improvement and how to make it a reality, this process of kind of learning constantly. And then we had people create prototypes for the things that would help the most to make this a reality for our state and voted on it. And the top voted the top voted option was a training for school boards about how to support evidence-based decision making. Oh baby. Dan Schwartz nails it on the head. Because it is so critical to having to both getting the support, local support to make changes that might be hard because sometimes putting money into something requires taking money out of something else. Almost always that's true. And if you don't have local support and trust around the evidence, and that evidence comes in many forms, then it's very hard to make hard decisions that are best for kids. And people don't realize the superintendent reports to the school board. So I, I want people to understand, like, you are handcuffed. If your school board doesn't want you to do something, even though you as a superintendent know that it might be best for kids, and you as a superintendent have an education degree usually and, and experience, you are bound to follow what the school board wants you to follow. So I do think it's a really influential group. So we once had a program at the GSE that was uh, for school board members. And uh, they, they closed it because the school board members have regular lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and full-time jobs. That's right. And so we couldn't actually get them to come. It, you know, things may change now that the, there's this thing called the Internet, <laughs> you know, where you can actually have video conferencing and stuff. And also, I don't want to make it sound like school board mem- you know, every school board member out there doesn't know anything about education. That's not a – I hope that oh, that I, didn't come across that way. It did. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I disavow that. I disavow <laughs> that. I'll also add, though, that – there's a systems thinking here that's important that I think is needs training all across the state at a lot of different levels is not just evidence, but also how do I think about how all of these pieces fit together and how we can make decisions that advance our outcomes for all kids and not just one school or not just on one topic. And, and that coherence is super important. So what you're saying is this is not easy. I thought your job to begin with of just coordinating faculty at five million different schools. No, it's not five million. Was really tough, and then doing all these projects. But now you're saying now getting the word out is also really tough. Well, and not just that. The word out has to be. You need a theory of everything, <laughs> you, right? So yeah. you can put it all together. So this is this is tough work, but I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, and it's very rewarding. I mean, we're seeing a lot of interest and also traction across the state 
And if this results in change, then it will all have been worth it. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being here, Heather. We so appreciate it. And thank all of you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app on iTunes and SoundCloud. of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope.